This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Thorstein Mansionmite, a Viking legend. You'll see that the Vikings partied frighteningly hard. Basically, if your parties don't involve drinking too much and then tossing around a 200-pound seal head coated in hot tar, don't even bother. The creature this time is Dr. Big Bird, and you'll see that when it comes to Dr. Big Bird, sometimes the treatment is worse than the disease. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 90, Mighty. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Support for today's show comes from War Dragons, a mobile real-time strategy game where players directly control dragons to attack enemy bases. With over 150 dragons to collect, players can join guilds to launch co-op attacks and co-op defenses, like the one I made, called the Volsungs, so look me up. Best of all, there's a new endgame feature called Atlas, which is a 3D, persistent world where players can forge alliances with other teams and build up dragon-led armies, fight for new land, and secure lucrative rewards. Just go to wardragons.com legends via your phone or tablet device to download the game. This week, we're back in the Viking legends, set in Scandinavia in the early Middle Ages. The Viking religion, of course, was what we now consider to be Norse mythology. So they worshipped Thor and Odin and knew about the giants and so on. Even though we covered Ragnarok a few weeks back, this episode takes place before any of that. I mean, the world hasn't ended yet, so everything takes place before Ragnarok. So in this story, Thor and Odin are still out there. The giants exist. The Bifrost is still intact. And Vidar has not finished his shoe yet. Thorstein's ship thudded to a halt. The mists had been thick, and he and his men had become lost at sea. That was rare for a Norseman. They had spotted land earlier that morning and traveled down the fjord, only barely able to see the banks on either side. Now that they had reached the end, their boat scraped to a hard stop on the pebbles of the beach, and they looked out in awe. The trees were big. They weren't just normal trees that had grown large, but the leaves themselves were the sizes of the Viking shields. Jotunheim. One man in the back of the boat whispered what they all were thinking. That was impossible, though. Jotunheim, the land of the giants, was a thing out of myth, out of legend. It was almost the year 1000 AD, and the Vikings, well, they were barely Vikings at all anymore. They had become Christians and abandoned their pillaging and plundering. They had moved on. Only a few like Thorstein, traveled the waters. And even then, navigating the politics of the various Scandinavian kingdoms was more dangerous than any monster. There was a time when the Northmen were the scourge of the world. But that time had passed. They had become domesticated, peaceful, weak. But if the thing men only dared to talk about in whispers was true, here was the stories of their past brought to life. Jotunheim, the place where Thor and Odin traveled to battle the giants. Thorstein, the men's leader, knew that the past wasn't truly gone. You could cover the map with names and roads, but there would always be places that refused to be found. Places like Jotunheim. Thorstein didn't need to think about it. He told the men that if he wasn't back in six days, they should leave without him. He gathered his spear, shield, 
and a week's worth of food and jumped from the boat, sloshing to the shore, as he disappeared into the mists. Dwarfed by the trees and plants of this strange land, they were right in assuming that he wouldn't be back in six days. Thorstein was a man born too late. He would have been at home in the legends of Sigmund the Volsung, tearing tongues from wolves with his teeth, or his son, Sigurd, killing dragons, or even Arrow Odd, fighting trolls and chasing an enemy across the centuries. Thorstein was a head taller than any of his fellow Norsemen. He was so tall that when he was full grown, he couldn't walk through a doorway without having to duck down. That's actually how he got his nickname, Thorstein Mansionmite, because he was bigger than doors. When he was old enough, he joined the service of the legendary King Olaf, and was the king's go-to guy when it came to killing stuff and generally just leaving the city. Thorstein Mansionmite was really good at raiding, but he was also really hard to get along with, so the king had him out all the time. On one such trip, Thorstein was relaxing on a Finnish beach in the summer, waiting for the wind to take he and his men out of there, when he heard a voice from the forest. As I pretty much always say, don't follow strange voices into the dark forest, but there's a standing exception when it comes to epic Viking warriors. He walked out a bit before he came to a clearing. It was a burial mound. Even creepier, a bald boy stood before the stone doors. He talked with a voice from the inside. Thorstein stayed hidden, but he heard the words. Mother, give me my crooked stick and gloves. I want to go for a witch ride. In a moment, a stick emerged, floating from the mound with a pair of gloves balanced on it. The bald boy put on the gloves, climbed aboard the stick, and shot off into the sky. Thorstein watched him leave. Then he had an idea. Moments later, he was standing before the stone doors of the mound. Uh, hi, he said, in as boyish a voice as he could muster, which still probably sounded like a cross between Wilford Brimley and Sam Elliott. Mother, give me my crooked stick and gloves. I want to go for a witch ride. There was a long silence from the tomb, before a wispy otherworldly voice replied. Who is this? Uh, your son, Bialfi? He heard a, hmm, before a stick floated out with a pair of gloves balanced on it. The gloves were a bit tight, but he didn't really need them anyway. He jumped on the stick, and it was a smooth and intuitive design, so it was surprisingly easy to control. He took off in the same direction as the bald boy. Riding high in the sky, he saw the boy dip down, and plunge into a river. Thorstein Mansion Might was confused, but following the kid had gotten him this far, might as well give it a shot. He, too, dove down into the water. And as soon as he was in the water, he was out of the water, on the other side. He was dry, too. He looked up and saw that it was night, and the stars looked different. He looked down and saw the dark forests of the underworld. This was not how he thought this day would go at all. He watched the boy land in the middle of one of the villages, a bright spot in the darkness of the forest, and, hovering about the square, out of sight of the boy and the denizens of the underworld, Thorstein could see that the boy was also invisible to the underworld inhabitants. The Viking waited for the boy to go into one of the longhouses, and Thorstein parked his stick right next to the bald boys. Since he was invisible, he made some funny faces and obscene gestures at the people going about their day in the underworld, before following the boy into the longhouse. Inside, there was a feast, and a king. Thorstein saw the bald boy attentively listening to an emissary 
from a faraway land, go on and on about boring political stuff. But then, something came up that caught Thorstein's attention. That something was a ring. The emissary presented the king with a ring. Thorstein decided that, yes, he would very much like to have that ring. And, well, if no one could see him, why not treat himself to some pillaging? He casually walked over to the emissary, presenting the king with the jewelry, put his hand on the table full of food, plucked the ring out of the air, and flipped the table up into the king and queen's face. The bald boy saw what was about to go down before it happened, and promptly got out of there and back on his flying stick before the fight went down and the table went up. Thorstein laughed at the king and bounded off through the door with the ring in his hand when he got stuck. Remember, Thorstein Mansion might his name such because he's bigger than doors. And he was able to free himself, but not before there was a six warrior pilot behind him. They had hit a wall of Thorstein when trying to chase the floating ring and, yes, the tablecloth that had gotten stuck on Thorstein's back. Thorstein wedged himself free, but not before he had 12 guys piling on him, kicking and beating and slashing at him. It was made all the worse by Thorstein stumbling over his flying stick, accidentally sending it backwards to hit a man in the gut. When he doubled over on it, he found that he was also flying. He circled the air above the growing host of men who surrounded Thorstein. King Olaf's best retainer gritted his teeth and narrowed his eyes. He yelled out a battle cry before he was swept up into the sky. The next thing he knew, he was leaving the ring of warriors far behind, dangling from the bald boy's flying stick. As he pulled himself up, he said a quick, thanks, and introduced himself. Thorstein Mansion Mite, bigger than doors. How's it going? You're an idiot, the boy replied. <laughs> a rich idiot. Now let's get out of here. Oh, wait, Thorstein said, realizing one of the tablecloths was fluttering on him, revealing their location to the warrior that had chanced upon the other flying stick, and who was now using it in hot pursuit. The tablecloth went right to the warrior's face, and the man crashed in the trees. Thorstein and the bald boy zipped back to the river and re-emerged into the overworld. The boy, his brother, and their mother apparently survived by robbing the king's table in this world that was like our world, but upside down. No relation. But that task will be exceedingly more difficult now that Thorstein had thrown a table in the king's face. When the boy returned to his mom, he chastised her for giving a flying stick to Thorstein and somehow confusing a Viking that's bigger than doors for his twin brother. Thorstein continued on his adventures, and when he returned to the beach, he found that they finally had a favorable wind. They sailed for Norway and spent the winter there. The next summer, Thorstein was out walking around Jamtlin, which can't be a correct pronunciation, but it's in northern Sweden, when he spotted, quote, a hideous dwarf screaming at the sky. Hey, what's your deal, little guy? Why are you so mad at the sky? Thorstein asked. The dwarf replied that it wasn't the sky, it was his son, who happened to be in the sky, and Ikel had swooped down and taken him. It was probably one of Odin's. When he wasn't wringing his hands about the end of the world, he really liked to mess with people. Thorstein chuckled. <laughs> that eagle? <laughs> okay. In one motion, before the dwarf even had time to react, Thorstein Manchemite whipped out his bow, let an arrow fly, and caught the eagle between the ribs. <laughs> See that? I didn't even look. Oh, your kid's falling, hold on. Thorstein ran and just barely caught the dwarf child, while trying to make it all look very intentional. The dwarf didn't care. He was overflowing with praise and thanks for Thorstein saving his son. 
he had to give the Viking something for his help. Thorstein waved it off. He didn't accept payments for showing off his talents, which were numerous. Nope. The dwarf's thanks and undying praise and what amounts to essentially worship was enough for a humble Viking like Thorstein. The dwarf said that that was all well and good, but it didn't lessen his duty. He just had a few things to show his gratitude. 1. The shirt off his back. It was made of wool. If you wore it next to your skin, you'd never get tired when swimming. And also you'd never be wounded or poisoned. The downside, I guess, was that you'd need to wear a wool shirt when you went swimming. 2. Black flint, but the type that, when held in the palm of your hand, makes you invisible. 3. A silver ring, telling Thorstein that if you wore it, then his money bag would never be empty. And 4. In a buy three overpowered magical items, get one free sort of deal, it was just something fun the dwarf was throwing in. It was a piece of painted marble, and a steel point that went along with it. The marble was white, red, and yellow. If you touched the white part with the steel point, a snowstorm would hit. If you touched the yellow part, the sun would come out, and if you touched the red part, Fire, flames, and sparks would rain down from the sky. Thorstein said that he didn't need stuff for showing off his talents, which, once again, are many and varied as they are awesome. He doesn't need it, but he will take all of this cool stuff. Thank you. And left the hideous dwarf and his somewhat less hideous son smiling in the clearing. Thorstein and his men left the next morning, and that was when they became lost. That was when they accidentally sailed into the mists of Jotunheim. That was when Thorstein wandered off the boat, alone. Thorstein watched the men gallop past. For the first time in his life, he was hiding. He had always wanted to live in the time of the gods, when Odin and Thor and the Jotun walked the worlds. Now, he looked on the glory of the giants and trembled. He had always been the largest man in the room. Door frames couldn't be built big enough for him to fit under them without ducking. But these, these men or whatever they were, he didn't even come up to their thighs. The men had galloped by and Thorstein had seen them far off, despite the massive trees and plants. He ducked behind a leaf and then allowed himself a glance. They rode horses the size of the biggest ships Thorstein had ever seen. The three loomed like gods. Then, they stopped. Thorstein ducked behind the leaf, but he didn't hear them continue on. In fact, the sounds got closer. He shuddered involuntarily when he heard, You there, behind the leaf. What are you? Hi, Thorstein Mansion might, he said, then swallowed. He wasn't going to let them see it. He wasn't going to show them his fear. It's Mansion might because I'm bigger than doors. Well, our doors. Your doors are probably big. Come down here so we can talk to you, they said, interrupting him. Yep, yep, no problem, Thorstein said, before they watched him awkwardly climb down the tree for like the next 10 minutes. That's an arm's length for you guys, but like two stories for me, Thorstein said, when he finally made it to the bottom. Anyway, yep, Thorstein Mansion might. How's it going? How tiny are your little houses that you're bigger than doors? The middle guy boomed down at Thorstein. Then he renamed Thorstein, replacing might with another M-word that is actually a derogatory slur now for someone of short stature. The other two giants cracked up. Yeah, okay, Thorstein said. Give me a naming gift and that'll be my new name. The middle guy cocked his head and chuckled. He liked this little guy's style. <laughs> sure, you give him a naming gift. He took off his smallest ring and tossed it to Thorstein. 
When the Viking picked it up off the ground, he looped the massive gold ring around his shoulder. He was now no longer Thorstein Mansion Might. He was now Thorstein Mansion... that other name. Thorstein asked the main guy what his name was and learned that it was Godmund. Thorstein looked on these beings, these giants that radiated with the power of old. Yeah, we're, we're not giants, Godmund stopped him. We're half-giants. You're not actually in Jotunheim. You knew that, right? Well, you're almost there. We're another country that borders Jotunheim. The giants have ruled over us for centuries. The giants married our women, let's say consensually, and, uh, here we are. I'm actually the king of this land, and we were just on our way to swear fealty to the king of the giants, Geriod, which, once again, not at all thrilled about that, but they're the Jotun, so what are you going to do? Anyway, my dad just died, so I have to go bend the knee to the giants. We're on our way to Jotunheim right now. It's basically like this with less parking and nicer restaurants. Thorstein knew that it was a long shot, but asked if he... If he could go too. He had always wanted to see Jotunheim, to leave Midgard and walk in the land of the gods. This was probably his one chance. Godman and his companions laughed. <laughs> sure, whatever, I mean... Thorstein was a Christian, right? Thorstein nodded. The Christianization of Scandinavia had already taken place. The half-giant shook his head. Yeah, the whole Christian thing didn't play well with the Jotun. Though, they were pretty down with how the Christians had altered the stories of Thor. They liked the wedding part, and the parts where Thor peed himself out of fear. Still, the clash between the Christians and the old ways were still very much a hot topic in Jotunheim. And might result in a clash between a giant's club and Thorstein's skull. But as long as little Thorstein Eminem was cool with that, sure, he could come. Thorstein felt his magic wool shirt underneath his chainmail. He smirked. He could take care of himself. Godman told him that, no, no, he very much could not take care of himself. Was he listening at all? These were the Jotun. You know what? Whatever. Hop on. And Thorstein did. Though... It was less of a hop and more of an awkward, arduous climb as he slowly clawed his way up the giant horse's backside to ford the river to Jotunheim. You'll see that the land of the Jotun is, surprise, surprise, a violent and unforgiving place. But that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. The Giants had a very interesting security feature to keep people out of Jotunheim. It was a gangrene river. It was so cold that if anyone touched it, human, half-giant, or giant, that they would instantly get gangrene. Even if you managed to ride a horse across the river, if you have gangrene on both of your legs, you're not walking a whole lot farther. Luckily, the four were expected, so the Giants had left a chest of magic clothes. They would be way too big for Thorstein, so I like to think of Godman swaddling him like a little Viking burrito and carrying him across the river. They were halfway across when Godman's horse stumbled. Godman splashed down to the water and gasped as little Thorstein burrito bounced toward the river. Godman caught the cloth, but only the cloth. Thorstein's protective layer began to unravel, and the Viking found himself rolling toward the water and probably instant death. Thorstein lunged and grabbed the cloth at the last possible moment. Then he yelled out. As Godman pulled him back on the horse, he could see why Thorstein was yelling. His toe had dipped into the water. 
and the gangrene had already taken hold. It was spreading. The giants looked at him with pity, but Thorstein only shrugged. He took out his knife, and without a second of hesitation, dug the blade in at the joint, where it was still healthy tissue. There was a sickening snap of tissue and sinew, but then it was done. Thorstein tore a bit of magic cloth to bandage his stub and tossed the toe in the gangrene river. What? He said as he walked past the stunned half-giants, his gait revealing no limp whatsoever. Are we going, or are we going? As they approached, Godman told Thorstein that he didn't know if it was just bluster when Thorstein said he could take care of himself, but whatever he was going to do, he should do it, because they were arriving at King Garriott's longhouse, and Godman was serious that the giants would not take kindly to a human, especially a Christian, in Jotunheim. Then, Godman was confused. Thorstein was gone. Nope, I'm right here, Thorstein said. I can turn invisible, no big deal. Now let's go meet this giant king. For their first day in Jotunheim, it was all just boring political stuff. Godman needed to swear fealty to Garriott in his father's place and meet up with his men who had ridden ahead of him and find their sleeping quarters and blah, blah, blah. That night, when he was alone with his half-giant countrymen, Godman revealed Thorstein to the group. After a solid 10 minutes of laughter at the little guy, King Godman asked for a show of hands. Who has ever sawed off their own toe with a blunt fishing knife? No one? No, anyone? Not seeing any hands. Oh, Thorstein's hand is up because he did it this morning. Until you saw off some body parts, don't laugh at the little guy. Or my diminutive and offensive nickname that I gave him before I knew how tough he was. The next day was the oath, and Thorstein, cloaked in invisibility at the edge of the room, watched as the half-giants bent and swore loyalty to Garriad. Thorstein climbed up the bench when no one was looking and sat down next to Godmund to take some scraps from the feast. Though the giants liked being in charge of the glacier plains, or King Godmund's lands, they kind of hated the half-giants and what they represented. So at the feast, Thorstein saw it before any of the half-giants did, an oxbone hurling toward his new buddy. The thrower, named Gust, was surprised to see the bone stop in midair and then immediately come back to him as Thorstein caught it and threw it back. It was the last thing he saw for a while, too, because it smashed his nose and teeth in, and he thudded to the bench, unconscious. King Garriott sighed. Couldn't they just have one nice dinner without someone ending up bloody and unconscious? And he didn't care who started it. If everyone liked throwing stuff so much, then he had something they could throw. He told two of his men to go get his gold ball. The gold ball was neither gold nor a ball. It was a 200-pound severed seal's head, dripping and burning tar. The two giants came in holding it in tongs, and the king said that the feast was over. They were going to play a little game. It was an early version of hot potato, but instead of hot potato, it was, like I said, a burning tar-covered seal's head. Anyone who didn't want to play was a coward, and anyone who dropped it was automatically an outlaw and would forfeit all of his possessions and go. It was a stressful game, but the half-giants held up with no small help from Thorstein, though it was actually small help. He supported some of the half-giants when they nearly buckled under the weight. And finally, it was hurtling at Godmund, but the half-giant caught it. He held the burning seal's head in his hands, not wincing, and looked at King Garriad, the giant, and flung the head as hard as he could. Garriad, knowing his limits, bravely ducked to allow a couple of unprepared lackeys to help him out by catching a burning seal's head in the chest and falling out a window. The quote-unquote ball then rolled out into the moat. Where it exploded, the half-giants won the game. The half-giants partied the night away in their quarters, each of them thanking Thorstein and giving him tiny high-fives. 
They all felt his help today, and it was so good to stick it to the giants. They told Thorstein that they considered him one of them, and that was why they needed his help. Tomorrow wouldn't be easy. Garyad, he liked to wrestle, and seeing as Garyad was a giant, and they were just half giants, well, he could see how that might go. Thorstein patted his new buddies on the back. Well, he patted them on their knees. He was very short. He told them not to worry. He would be watching out for them tomorrow. Cut to Thorstein at times bolstering some of the half-giants so they weren't pinned, and other times kicking the backs of the giants' knees so that they would go down. Finally, one stood up among the giants. His name was Earl Agdi. He demanded that Godmund wrestle him. He had given up wrestling years ago, so it shouldn't be too difficult. He said this as he was taking his shirt off, revealing a body twisted and hardened by scars in battle. His beard was burned off yesterday, too, by the seal said, but he didn't even flinch. Some say he had even survived one of Thor's assaults on Jotunheim. Godman rose to meet him, and the pair locked arms. Godman could see quickly that, one, he was out of his depth, and two, Agdi was playing for keeps. He was trying to kill Godmund. He had tried to slam the half-giant's head against the corner of a bench a few times. It was confirmed when Agdi grabbed Godman by the ribs, and with his gnarled, sharp thumb pressed in and jammed a thumb between Godman's ribs. The half-giant yelled out as he felt a rib crack, and he staggered backwards. Earl Agdi stood to finish him off, but that was when Thorstein saw his opening. He saw the Earl bounding over toward the half-giant king and threw himself in front of Agdi's feet. The giant tripped, and his head pounded on at the hard corner of one of the tables. Goblin was laboring to breathe, and blood was pulling up around Agdi's head. They didn't know if Earl Agdi was alive until he stood. His nose now matched his body, mangled and torn. He had lost his four front teeth, too. He stood and wiped the blood from his face. He turned to Godmund and said that the match was finished. It was a draw, but then he got close enough for only Godmund to hear, and said that it was easy to take down an old man when it was two on one. He let Godmund think about those words before putting his shirt back on and resuming his drink. They all staggered back to their room that night. They had a drinking contest where Earl Agdi brought out his massive drinking horns, and anyone who couldn't finish owed him money. Thorstein had made sure all the half-giants finished their meat, but now he needed to lie down. Before he did, Godman thanked him, and told him that tomorrow there would be one more party game to this uncomfortable and awkward endeavor. They would be bringing out another drinking horn, to which Thorstein probably said, oh my gosh, please no more drinking. That horn was so big that a full-grown human could stand up in it. Also, it could talk. On the small end, it had a head. And that head talked and could see the future and in invisible things. Okay, so I really wanted this to be cool and interesting, but really, it's just confusing to me. Grim the Good is the name of the sentient drinking horn, and even Garriott is a little afraid of him. Godman's drink was poisoned, but with the help of Thorstein's wool shirt, he was able to live. The whole Grim the Good thing is awkward and confusing, but everyone survived. After... Another morning of heavy drinking, someone the same size as Thorstein walked in and told Godman that his horses were ready. That person was the same size as Thorstein because it was Thorstein. The giants thought this little massive human was hilarious, so they asked him if he knew any tricks. Thorstein smiled, whispered to Godman to seriously get to the horses, and nodded. <laughs> yeah, he actually did have some tricks. He pulled out that multicolored piece of marble that he got from the dwarf and touched the white part with the steel point. Godman and the half-giants fled the room as clouds grew toward the ceiling and snow and hail pelted the giants. King Garriott only laughed. 
and Thorstein touched the yellow part, and the sun grew up in the rafters. The snow melted and flowed from the place, and the whole hall just smelled really nice. Gary had clapped his hands and yelled out for more. Thorstein said he had one more trick, and it was called the Scourge. And Gary had begged him to see it. Thorstein looked at him. Really? I mean, it, it's called the Scourge, and he did it all dramatic, like it's, it's not a good time. Gary Ed was really into the show, so he begged him to see it. Thorstein said I, I, he was going to do it anyway, but all right. He would do it. But he needed to open the door for this one, and also buy. While he was talking, Thorstein was wrapping some rope around the steel point in the marble. He touched the steel point to the red part, and sparks and fire rained down from the rafters. Thorstein tossed the marble into the room and started running toward the horses. Godman saw little Thorstein turned and scooped him up. As they rode, they heard screams from the longhouse behind them. As they watched the place burn, Thorstein knew that Garriott was dead. There was no way he could escape. He was right in the middle of the fire. Unfortunately, someone far worse emerged from the collapsing longhouse. Blind and burning, Earl Agdy lurched out into the forest. Thorstein took a deep breath and told the half-giants to stop the horses and let him off. He had something he needed to do. Once Thorstein was on the ground, the half-giants needed to continue home and gather warriors. With Garriott and almost all of his top giants dead, they could take control of Jotunheim today. Godman and the others thanked Thorstein, and the little guy followed the smoking, grumbling hulk of a giant into the forest to do what needed to be done. And, apparently, what needed to be done was following Earl Agdy back to his house, waiting until he left, and then hitting on his daughter. As Agdy wandered around the forest blind, his daughter was packing her things and preparing to run away with this man who promised her such wonderful things as taking her literally anywhere else in the world away from her very scary father. As they walked away, the blind Earl Agdy wasn't a threat. Until he was. He heard the pair and cursed the little tricky Thorstein. He knew the magician helped the wrestling match, too. He gave chase. Luckily, as they approached the gangrene river, Thorstein saw that his men, his Vikings, had disobeyed his direct order. They had sailed inland and found the river. It was a surprise for them to see their leader, with a gold ring around his shoulder, fleeing from an angry giant with a beautiful giantess, but they acted quickly and left the pair aboard. Agni stood at the banks of the river and cursed Thorstein and swore that he would get the tiny, tiny man if it was the last thing he did. They returned to King Olaf's kingdom, and Thorstein presented the king with the gifts he had gained abroad, and told the king that he was going to marry the giantess he had met and definitely fallen in love with. It wasn't that she was now the sole heir to her father's earldom in the mythical land of Jotunheim, which, by now, was likely under new management. King Olaf put on a magnificent wedding celebration, and that night Thorstein and Gudrun, his wife, but she's not that Gudrun, retired to one of the king's finest rooms to consummate their marriage. Thorstein walked into the room and looked around. There was a bed underneath a beautiful tapestry hanging on the wall which was weird. Thorstein had been in this room before, and 
he didn't remember a tapestry hanging there. He remembered there being a window, and it was as soon as this realization flashed in his mind that the tapestry lunged out at him, and the hulking form of Earl Agdy hit him hard in the chest. The old giant Earl was black with gangrene all over his body. He was fully blind now, so he couldn't savor the look on Thorstein's face. He had Thorstein M&M pinned to the ground. His tongue moved past his toothless gums and licked his lips beneath his crushed and shattered nose. Finally, he would have revenge on this tiny Christian magician who had taken everything from him. He lifted a long knife above his head and left himself open to King Olaf's golden scepter. Before you ask, no. I have no idea what King Olaf was doing, listening close enough to this room to know that the sounds he was hearing were from the bride's deformed father and not something else. But the blind giant, surprised from a few light taps from King Olaf, dropped his knife and, gripping his bleeding and further crushed nose, dove back out the window and ran off into the night. Thorstein rose to his feet and thanked his king, who said it was the least he could do for his best warrior. He would even stand guard there, at the foot of their bed, all night, to make sure the giant didn't come back. Thorstein told him that, no, no, he didn't need to do that, but the king insisted. The next spring, the pair left for home. King Olaf wished his best warrior and his new wife a happy life, and the pair sailed on, toward the mists of legend, on the edge of the world. They sailed on for Jotunheim. They sailed right up to the border this time, to where Earl Agdi had chased them off. There was not a blind, smashed up, mostly gangrenous giant on the shore this time, and that was only one of the major changes. King Godmund had returned, and with his army of half-giants, had taken this portion of Jotunheim. The half-giants no longer lived under the rule of Jotunheim. With Thor making incursions into other areas of giant land, no one ever took it back, and King Godmund died his own master. As for Thorstein, well, Godmund learned why this tiny, slash, massively large human was so willing to help him. When he returned to Jotunheim, his greeting was more of a demand. Since Earl Agdi was dead, Thorstein demanded his title and lands. You might be wondering, wait, did Agdi actually die? Well, no, we didn't see him die, but he did have a funeral. Funerals are like surprise parties. Kind of impossible to throw your own, though Earl Agdi was just intense enough to make it work. When he returned to the land run by his enemies, after losing his daughter to the humans, he made a big show about gathering his worldly wealth, going to the burial mound, and sealing himself inside. The half-giants posted a guard on the thing for weeks, until they were sure he was actually dead in there. Months later, Thorstein returned to claim Earl Agdi's land, and the old giant Earl's defeat was complete. Almost. That night, there were noises around the burial mound. A groaning and snarling. In the morning, people saw the stone had been thrown from the opening, and there were tracks going from the depths of the mound out into the forest, toward the home of Thorstein and Gudrun. Now, I wish there was an epic, grand showdown between the Christian Thorstein and the literal ghost of the legends he supplanted, but there wasn't. Because Thorstein has crosses on his house, Draugr Agdi could not touch it. He couldn't even go through the gate. The monstrous and undead big bad that had been reanimated out of pure rage and vengeance was about as threatening as an overly mischievous raccoon. Thorstein would wake up in the middle of the night and hear his zombie father-in-law messing with something on the side of the house, and I guess just chase the guy off with a broom. Finally, Thorstein got tired of cleaning up the same trash bins every night, 
so he tracked Agni down and waited until the Draugr returned to his burial mound. Thorstein casually strode up, placed a cross above the opening, and the earth rumbled and sealed the mound. Earl Agni, it seemed, was finally gone for good. Thorstein returned to his home and his wife, and he, too, died his own master, who had lived and thrived among the quickly fading legends of his people. What initially attracted me to the story was, well, if I'm being honest, it was the sealhead hot potato. But on a deeper level, it was the idea of this person living after the time of gods and heroes who had grown up in these stories. He was this burly, violent guy out of place in his own time. And he learned that, one, the legends were real. And two, he too could stand tall among the stories of his ancestors. He found his place, proved himself, and he didn't need to roam anymore he found what he was searching for. Of course, all this kind of falls apart with the idea of Thorstein being a Christian, and it becomes less of an empowering returning to your roots and finding your place in the world, and more just violent colonialism. Next week, it's two stories of fatherhood from Greek mythology, and if you have any knowledge of Greek mythology at all, you know how terrible this episode's gonna go. There's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a Nicolas Cage face shirt, a shirt that's just Nicolas Cage's eyes, nose, and mouth on a Nicolas Cage skin color backdrop, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that aren't just really deeply unnerving. I posted a picture of it on the site. Check it out. Anyway, go to support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Caladrius, a bird from ancient Rome. The Caladrius is a large, completely white bird, and it kind of makes sense that it's constantly wearing a white coat of sorts, because it's a doctor bird. It's very good at diagnosing and treating illnesses, when it feels like it. And what I'm sure was very helpful for sick people, doctors in the ancient world would place a large bird on the patient's bed. If that bird didn't want to look at the sick person, well, what was even the point of trying to cure them? The bird thought they were going to die, they were going to die. I can imagine it might have been a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if Dr. Big Bird has handed down your death sentence, and all the doctors believed him, it doesn't bode too well for you. In the Middle Ages, they added to the myth of the Caladrius, making it much, much more harmful. His healing powers by looking at you were limited to the oddly specific jaundice, but a fun new power was added. If you couldn't look at the Caladrius in the eye, that's okay, because the good news was that it could cure blindness and poor eyesight. The bad news? Well, to do so, you had to smear its droppings on your eyes. That's it for this time. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to War Dragons for sponsoring us this week. War Dragons is a mobile real-time strategy game where players can directly control dragons to attack enemy bases. With over 150 dragons to collect, Players can join guilds to launch co-op attacks and co-op defenses. Want to play? Look at my guild, the Volsungs, and join me. Best of all, there's a new endgame feature called Atlas, which is a 3D, persistent world where players can forge alliances with other teams and build up dragon-led armies, fight for new land, and secure lucrative rewards. Just go to wardragons.com legends via your phone or tablet device to download the game. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.